I feel like my earliest memories on bikes were just like when I was little, like learning how to ride a bike. In Seattle, where I lived, we have a big hill. And that was like, <laughs> everybody would just be like, are you going to go from the top of the hill? You know? And then like my driveway, like where I lived was like somewhere in between. And so we'd all like kind of start at the in-between spot and then like work our way up to the top, top of the road. <laughs> Brought to you by Thule, this is You Inspire Us, inspiring stories about all things bike. I'm Elliot Jackson, a bike ambassador for Thule, and today I'm speaking to Brooklyn Bell, someone who truly is a Jill of all trades. Not only is she a mountain biker and a professional big mountain skier, she also is a really talented graphic designer. Brooklyn uses her art to get involved in community projects and raise awareness for the importance of diversity in outdoor sports. Some of these projects include Lady of Loam, where she designed affordable bike jerseys for women, and she created the film Becoming Ruby in collaboration with Patagonia that has been seen almost half a million times. Brooklyn, thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's uh, it's super, super cool to talk to you. And I feel like you've had so many unique experiences in the outdoors. And one of the themes I wanted to talk about today was kind of this intersection between story and place. And there's this question that my partner came up with that I really love. And I thought it would be a really, really cool place to start, which is what is the place that makes you feel the most nostalgic? Ooh. Um, gosh, I do have a spot that makes me feel really nostalgic. Just being next to the water at home in Bellingham makes me feel really nostalgic. I feel like when I first was able to like have a car and like drive around, like the first place that I went to was just the beach with my friends and like driving down in the Chuckanuts always makes me feel like nostalgic for like that kind of first taste of freedom. Yeah, I always think about it almost um almost like music where you like see a place and it kind of transports you back. Is there like a, a specific moment? when you're by the beach that you're just like, oh, wow, yeah, that that was the day. I think there was a certain point in our drive, like somebody put on some music and we'd roll down the windows and you could just see like a like just a hint of the view, you know, and you're like, oh, that's what's to come. And yeah, that memory is just like so vivid in my my head. And so what was it like uh, growing up in in Bellingham? Um, so I moved to Bellingham when I was 10 after my parents got divorced. And when I moved to Bellingham, my mom was like a single mom and she didn't have very much, but she figured out a way to get me and my sister up to Bellingham. And even though we didn't have a whole lot, we like all of a sudden had just like access to nature and I didn't get into mountain biking and skiing um, until later in life. But, uh, you know, when I was 10, just like having access to the park and the trails and the water. And like, it was just like, it opened up my world. And, um, I think it gave me a, a huge sense of agency, um, younger on just being able to go wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And, um, yeah. And I mean, I thought I was going to leave Bellingham for college and, become like a graphic designer and live in a city. And um, I ended up staying in Bellingham because I, I couldn't afford anything other than just community college. And 
uh, I think through my like younger twenties, I just fell in love with the place again. And part of that was, you know, sport and mountain biking and skiing. It kind of opened up a whole other world. It was super interesting when I talked to Martin Soderstrom, he was saying that when he first discovered the bike, he like didn't even realize it was a sport. Was it the same for you? Like, did you know that, you know, bikes and skiing were this, you could go and compete or did you just kind of be like, uh, oh, this is super fun? I knew that skiing was a sport. Like, I think I remember being a teen and being like, yeah, being a skier seems cool. Like, I want to do that. That's like super <laughs> yeah. cool. And I've always, I, I still am like, yeah, skiing is cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, when it comes to mountain biking, like I didn't even know. I had no clue. I feel like mountain biking wasn't as big, like still like, like, I think I started in like mm. 2015. So like it was still yeah. on the low key in Bellingham. Um, even though Bellingham has incredible trails, but like, I didn't even understand, like, I feel like I'd seen people jump on bikes, but like, to me, like it just defied everything that made sense. Like, I didn't even think that you could do what you do on bikes. Like, you know how like little kids just like kind of take things like literally that's how I kind of, that's how I felt with like biking. You know, at first I was like, how do you do this? And part of what made biking uh really exciting was it was just kind of like demystifying like what i thought i knew about physics and the world and right all that. Oh, that's so funny <laughs> yeah. yeah and i totally i still have those moments uh learning new sports of just part of what makes it really fun learning a new sport is it breaks all the rules that you already know you know right totally yeah it was i was laughing um, kind of listening to you, reading about you, um, about your journey, like into bikes. And you were saying that somebody that was a regular at a coffee shop yeah. that you went to, like you saw them out on the trails or how did that, how did that work? It was kind of an awkward interaction. <laughs> 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 like the guy who, who got me into mountain biking, he was kind of a really surly, quiet man. <laughs> uh it was like more of a confrontation than it was like an invitation (laughs) (laughs) like essentially i was i was working at an amazing bagel shop called the bagelry in bellingham it's like kind of a bellingham classic it's been around for a really really long time um and that was just like one of like a bunch of jobs that i had uh in like my early 20s and when I first started working there I would go and work there every day and then I would go run at Galbraith not really much of a runner but like I just would just go there for fitness because I was just like I need to get out and um, I had a regular that I would basically just run into every single day on the mountain and then I would also just run into him at the bagelry and I would always be taking his order and he would always get the Bialy toasted with butter, coffee, black. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the perfect surly mountain bikers order. Yes, very much just like straightforward. And there was just like this awkward moment where I was serving him and it was kind of like, well, I see you every day, all the time. And... 
uh, he was like, well, I see you up there and like, you're running, like, why aren't you on a bike? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I can't really, I can't afford to mountain bike. Like it's too expensive. I don't have enough money to buy a bike. And, um, he was like, well, I have an extra bike. If you want to try biking, then we can go. And so we went and it was so fun. And I was like, I kept on asking him being like, Hey, like, can I borrow your bike? Like, I want to go again. This is so cool. And he was like, no, you can't borrow my bike. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to buy, I'm going to just have to take all the savings that I have and buy my own bike. (laughs) So the first, the first bike that I got was like a, like kind of a grass country Scott hardtail, like the kind of bike that, um, you could just like probably get from like a Walmart or an REI. Um, right. Totally. And like quickly, I feel like that bike, um, was not serving me. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you had been skiing before this, like you were athletic. Yeah. Yes. It was very like quick that I was like, man, I need like, I need a full suspension bike. So the like years after that, I like saved up a ton of money, like got my refund for my taxes and like <laughs> <laughs> straight to the bike shop. <laughs> yes. And then the, the first like full suspension uh, bike that I saved up for was the Kona process 134. Mm. And that was a really fun first bike. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, did you ever expect to be an athlete at that point? Like, No, not even. I didn't really expect to be an athlete. And it was crazy because I was still really new. And I like had had a company reach out to me about being an athlete. And I like turned it down because I was like, no, this is not really what I want. And I also just saved up all this money for this bike. Like... <laughs> Uh, so like I still hadn't even really considered it like I didn't it wasn't on my radar at all I mean that's really interesting because I feel like as a kid like I used to skateboard and I was trying to get sponsored like so that was like it's like oh you you if you do a kick kick flip you can get two percent off and I was like get me in there and (laughs) here you are like (laughs) turning down the um like the sponsorship do you think that kind of early on you had like a good idea of what it meant to have a good partnership like why was it that you felt like you weren't ready uh I just felt like I worked really hard to buy a bike and I wanted to enjoy that you know Hmm. and I like worked really hard to buy a bike that like I chose and I knew that it was gonna like do exactly what I wanted you know like I knew that this tool was going to help me progress. And like, for me, like that, that was like the biggest goal was just like learning how to ride, like progressing, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, it just felt a little bit premature. And I think there's something to be said about like having space to like really explore, you know, something without any pressure or any, like any obligations. Right. And figuring out what mm-hmm. kind of rider I wanted to be. And so what did that look like? What did you, what did that exploration look like? Uh, a big part of my exploration uh, was actually, so I bought that Kona and I started connecting with all of the ladies at Kona and there was a bunch of other women who weren't 
working for Kona who also bought Kona's and we all just like put together a crew and we were the Kona Supremes and all women's riding <laughs> <No> crew. <way>. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So I think like, you know, I guess going back to partnership, like what drove me was, you know, having those connections with all those women. And I was telling somebody the other day at the Sturdy Dirty Enduro that I was at, uh, I'm, I'm really fortunate because I got into mountain biking at this like really unique time where like brand new at mountain biking, like the people who taught me how to mountain bike were like women, you know, like mm, my first yeah. jumps, my first drops, my first steeps. Like I know exactly who towed me in and it was all women, which is super unique. Mm. And I'm so lucky to have like that, perspective and that kind of energy moving forward you know yeah I mean there's a bunch of stuff that I want to touch on but I mean I think you kind of talking about that about representation about like what it means to have your own learning from your own community and and people that really like resonate with you um and it's a word and I think like kind of a phrase that gets thrown around especially a lot now like why does representation matter and could you touch on that a little bit? Like, why why is that such a big deal? I mean, it's a huge deal. I mean, what makes like what makes extreme athletes able to do what they do at such like a high level is because they're constantly visualizing, mm. right? Yeah, they're constantly visualizing themselves dropping in, hitting the thing, doing the trick, being able to like dream of who they are in that moment. And if you've never really seen anybody who looks like you do it, then how are you supposed to even like visualize that? How are you supposed to even like try or start, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's a really interesting one. It's kind of like the progression of sport um, where 10 years ago, kids weren't doing what they are now. And a lot of the reason is because they, they see their heroes and they're like, yeah, I can do a double backflip. That's, that's easy, but you know, 10, Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, that wasn't even happening. And so I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. You can't, you can't even begin to see yourself like at all for me with biking. Like I, I never even like, I didn't think it was a sport. I didn't think it was a thing. And then like, now you're telling me that we can like hit jumps, like this thing (laughs) flies, like, you know, yeah, totally. I think we all kind of like grew up with these like this framework and this set of rules of how life is and how the world works. And, you know, part of that is, you know, our role models, like mm. who we look up to. And if we don't have anybody who looks like us, you know, to help like put in that framework, like how how are we supposed to live the rest of our lives, you know? Yeah. And so I I wonder like how has that idea of representation change for you now because you I think are that person for so many people that they look up to and kind of visualize themselves you know skiing this amazing mountain or you know doing this incredible art and all of these things what is it do you still need that or do you feel like you've kind of made it like I guess yeah just maybe talk to me about that relationship Uh I feel like I still need it. Uh, uh, I a hundred percent still need it. 
it's kind of interesting. And I'm lucky enough to like, you know, be surrounded by people who help me see that. Like with the approach crew, like I get to ski with Emily Zenobia, another black woman who's a snowboarder. And like, it, it's pretty surreal being with her and make these extreme environments and I'll like see her do run. And like, I'm just like so proud of her, but I'm also just feel a lot of comfort Mm. in being able to just be in that space with her because when we're out there together, like there's a lot of just like pressure that is relieved off of me because I don't necessarily Mm. have to be the end all be all. Like I have Emily and like Emily to me is she's, She's part of my representation too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, I still need it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, it is, it's so, it's, it's so interesting because it, I think, you know, even for me, a lot of the times it, it shifts to different places where, um, you take inspiration from, like you said, like some of your best friends are the people that you end up looking up to, um, and visualizing like that. It's uh, it's interesting that you uh, kind of going back to the like biking. You talked a lot about skiing. Do you kind of like deliberately think of different times of the year being for different sports? Like maybe just paint me a picture of uh, what a year looks like for you. Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like it's so funny because I think uh, like mountain bike season is really long. Uh, like at least for me, mountain bike season goes, well, I used to like, before I started doing skiing, I guess, professionally, uh, I used to like ski and bike in March and I would like go skiing in the morning and then biking in the evenings (laughs) in March. So like March would always be like insane. So like my bike season usually goes from April, like all the way through December Mm. and then from December all the way through April is ski season but ski season is really dense (laughs) there's a lot (laughs) that goes on and it's a lot of work and like I think like bike season is just like a little bit more like of a marathon and yeah um, they're both like really different I think that like my work-life balance is a lot better during bike season like during bike season I'm able to just like take phone calls and work on art and do all that. And then also ride and shoot Mm. content and uh, just do a lot with my time and also rest. Uh But then like ski season, it's just like, it's always like, go, go, go. And um, I'm always on the edge of my seat being like, okay, like what is the next thing that we need to do to get to the next place or the next thing or yeah, so many logistics. But I love both. I've heard you describe skiing as like the wild boyfriend. Like you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yes. Skiing is the the wild boyfriend. He's exciting. He's thrilling. Sometimes he's super fun. And I'll, sometimes he just like lets you down. <laughs> and then biking is just like dependable it's at home like it's consistent it's constant it's stable it's great the most that like biking really varies is sometimes it's a little bit dry and sometimes it's a little bit wet but it's always really great yeah i um i was thinking about this if you had to describe summer and winter as either kendrick lamar or fleetwood mac which one would be which uh 
Ooh. Uh, winter is Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> and then summer is Fleetwood Mac. I feel like uh, it, it was, it made me laugh because I feel like you can kind of literally any sort of like Fleetwood Mac song you put on, you're just like, yeah, it's good. It's a great song. <laughs> I don't have to think about it, but yeah, you're probably not going to like put on a, Kendri- or a Fleetwood Mac song when you like go to party. Um, but then like Kendrick's song comes on and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Totally. I think it's really interesting too that you grew up in like one of the best places in the world for for bikes. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it is one of the best places in the world for bikes and it's just getting better. It's kind of cool. Yeah. What was it like when you uh rode outside of Bellingham for the first time? Uh disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean it was actually like a really good motivator for me to stay in Bellingham. I think the first time I had ridden outside of Bellingham, I was still riding like my hardtail. So I like hadn't like really experienced like riding, riding. And there was still like a, a ton of riding that I still hadn't experienced in Bellingham. But I remember uh, like there was after I graduated community college, I wanted to go to Montana to study like graphic design. And I also wanted to ski like that was a big that was a good big motivator of like maybe going to school in Bozeman. And then I went on a road trip with a friend who uh, was living there and going to college there. And I took a day to go bike riding. And like for some reason, I just knew I was like, huh, this like bike riding thing in Bellingham is really unique and really special. I'm going to stay here for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's kind of weird. It's such a weird, like, I've had so many moments, especially through that stage of life where um, biking was just super magnetic. Like, it Mm. just would, it was, like, relentlessly magnetic. Like, it just kept drawing me in. I kept being curious Mm. about it. And it kept on pulling me in a direction uh, that I didn't think it would, you know? Do you know what that, like the core of that was like what what was it that kept you coming back uh i think just like not really understanding how biking worked <laughs> like <laughs> like back to that it's just like not really understanding how biking worked and then also wanting to progress and then i think also too like recognizing that there is something really unique and really special about the riding in bellingham is that kind of like who you are like somebody that is always trying to figure something out like yes (laughs) i yeah the curiosity is always there is that where the the art comes from um because it's it seems it's fascinating to me that you got into it so early and then you know you went to graphic design school and now it's your profession and that is super rare right like to have this passion that goes like for so long, um, do you ever think about that? Like about that, like what is the core of it? Is it that curiosity? Is it like figuring something out? Like what has allowed you to keep that for so long? Hmm. I don't know. I think there is like probably a genetic component. A lot of my family is just like really creative and like artistic. And a lot of my family is also just like 
you know, um, abstract thinkers. My grandfather was an artist. He was an, an artist until the day that he passed. He had a shaky arm. So he made this like basically mechanism that he like tied to his arm. That was like a stick to like keep his like arm just like stable so he could keep creating. Oh, interesting. And so like, I don't know. I, I th- like, I don't think anybody was being like, you should be an artist. And like my parents in particular didn't think that I could really do anything with art just because most of my family has never really done anything mm. with it. But yeah, it, it's really special and it's really unique um, to have a passion like that from such a young age. I think like, when I first started understanding like that I could use the computer as a tool and like started creating stuff when I was like 13 and 12, learning how to become a graphic designer. Like I knew, like, I think at the time, like it was a way to escape and like, I became really hyper-focused on it and it was just like a really good way to kind of make sense and uh, escape some of the things that I was were happening at home and I felt really lonely as a teenager and like I felt really lonely like in my early 20s and you know it was a way for me to like kind of self-soothe yeah and um yeah I think I've always just been like curious about where art could lead me and I've always been always curious about like how can I create joy or create emotions or create feelings for other people through art in a really unique way or how can I challenge people through art? That's always been a curiosity of mine. Mm. One thing that has been really cool about uh, just like the past year or so of art is I don't need to run away anymore. So like the art that I'm creating is different. Like I can feel it. It's definitely different and mm. it resonates different. And I feel like I take more risks, you know? What does um, taking risks look like in terms of art? Uh, I think I, I still make really pretty looking things, but I think I'm not concerned about other people liking it anymore, you know? Yeah. I mean, how did you come to find your style in the first place? Is that a purely internal thing? Uh, I think like my, the influence of my style, especially early on was just like, I loved watercolor paintings and I didn't have the time or the patience to learn how to learn how to watercolor. Like the tool that I'd been using since I was 13 was the computer. And I I just was like, okay, like how do I do this through Photoshop? How do I do this through the computer? And it was crazy because at the time when I was like creating digital art, like people really weren't doing that. Like you were either an artist or you were a graphic designer And I felt kind of like phony for like creating Mm -hmm. big pieces of art through computer. And now it's just like, it's so big. It's awesome. Um, Right. But yeah, I think another just like aspect of creating my style is just, I love color. So I'm just like always curious about new and interesting color combinations and how can I make those come alive? The line work for me has always just been kind of like melty and psychedelic and I just want everything to feel like it flows and that it like like has a composition that is just like very calming and you know very energetic too 
Yeah. I mean, it's super interesting to hear you talk about it because mm -hmm. it feels like there is this parallel between kind of being in the flow state with sport and like the art that you're trying to create. Yes. Um, and then in, and so in 2015, you created Ruby J. Can you talk to me a bit about, about that? Tell me why you brought her into the world. Yeah, I feel like I, so I have this character. Her name is Ruby J. She is basically my alter ego. And, you know, I created her because there was a lack of represent representation of black women in like extreme sports. Um, I created Ruby J to be like a big mountain skier. And in my mind, Ruby was serious about sport hyper-focused, driven, like she is going to be the best. In my mind, Ruby also is creative and she thinks outside of the box. Maybe she thinks of solutions that other people don't think of. And the biggest part that makes Ruby super unique is she just has a high moral mm -hmm. compass. Like if she's going to do something then everyone is coming with her to do it with her. And she is wanting to see other people succeed as much as she, you know, wants to see herself succeed. Yeah. And I, I just, I created that character and it gave me so much comfort. And it also just kind of gave me a really great, just fundamental way to like navigate the world of sport. I think for me, like Ruby was, because she insisted in my mind, I feel like she allowed me to be selfish, you know, and allowed me to be like, well, if Ruby's out here, big man skiing, then like I can do it and I don't need, I don't have to feel bad about it. And I can navigate things the way that Ruby does. Hmm. What was it that made you feel bad about trying to pursue those, uh, those activities and experiences in the first place? Um, I think skiing and mountain biking are, I mean, they're some of the most exclusive sports in the world and they're some of the most expensive sports and not like <laughs> it's a privilege to be able to ski some of the stuff that I've skied. And, mm. um, I, I think for me, like I felt like, like I have like a deep feeling of responsibility to make sure that not only am I represented, but other people are represented. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the, some of the pushback, especially like from becoming Ruby and some of the other projects that I've gotten or like, especially early on was that, um, well, if I want to change things then I need to do outreach and like I could do outreach and I could probably be good at it, but I'm really good at making art. And like, I think I'm a pretty good skier and I think I'm like figuring out how to mountain bike. And so I'm like kind of like grappling with this like moral question of like, what's the best way to, mm. you know, live my dreams and use my skills, my skills that I have to like be able to live those dreams, but also be able to affect change. Right. Yeah. There's like this tension between kind of being the representation and and showing what is possible skiing those places mountain biking in those places but then also trying to bring people with you yeah 
Totally. Was there a moment that kind of clarified that for you? Like that made you confident in the path that you're on now? Um, I think it's just over time. I think like for me to put my energy and effort into becoming an athlete was it feels really risky, but now I'm starting to kind of see it slowly, mm. you know? So um, in like 2015, you created Ruby to kind of be this representation that you hadn't, that you hadn't seen be the role model. What mm-hmm. role do you think she plays for you now? Oh, she is the planner. She is somebody who sees the bigger picture at all times. She like kind of sets up the bounds of like, projects you know i think ruby's a really strong advocate for other people and she's constantly connecting people with brands and people with projects and she shows up in that way but i feel like for me sometimes ruby can be a bit of a perfectionist and like i think that was really good for me like she had like just this intense like i have i have to Mm. do this drive uh, I think that was it, really important for me at the beginning. But now I have another alter ego and his name is Brock. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Brock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brock for me like kind of fills in a lot of the gaps. Mm. I got the name, or I, I got the alter ego Brock. It was my first time going to Alaska. I was at the airport waiting for a small seaplane and they call everybody's names and they get to the end of the list and they're like, Brocklin? Is Brocklin there? Oh, that's funny. And I was like, that <laughs> is me. And immediately I stepped through the like door to go out to the airplane and I was a different person. <laughs> <laughs> so what, is, uh, what does Brocklin do? What is Brock? <laughs> how, does, how do they approach situations? Um. So Brock is humongous. Brock takes up as much space as he needs to. Brock, he is always cheering people on. Like he's always like, that was the sickest line. That was so awesome. He's always gets like, he's definitely like a team player for sure. Brock doesn't even know how to ski. Brock doesn't even know how to mountain (laughs) bike. Like he has no clue what's going on, but he is like, that looks fun. I'm going to drop in and figure it out. And Brock just like drops in and he gets done with the line or he gets done with the feature. And everybody's like, what, Brock? I didn't even know you knew how to do that. And Brock's like, no, I didn't, but I just tried. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you think your love of of story comes from? Uh, I don't know. I think I just, I have these characters in my head that just like, help me make sense of the world and give me a lot of comfort you know yeah have you ever thought about like what makes a good story like what are the what are the ingredients actually to a to a good alter ego even uh i mean i think a good alter ego is a oh that's a really good question a good alter ego is somebody who helps you kind of fill in the gaps you know Hmm. like i was listening to a podcast And it was about your inner critic. And Hmm. the woman on the podcast was talking about how instead of, you know, being like, man, I'm so tough on myself. What if, what if your inner critic was 
like this character, you know, this like surly old man. And you're like, well, don't talk to me, surly old man. Like, you know, right. Yeah, totally. If you have these characters, you can kind of like compartmentalize these things or you can bring these characters to the to the front and like bring them out at the right times. Right. If Ruby is like doing all the planning and she's figuring out all the logistics and she's making sure that everyone's included, you know, she's doing a lot of work. And then Brock Mm. just gets to show up and, you know, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's interesting to hear you kind of like talk about even just the progression of (laughs) these different alter egos that you've had. (laughs) And I mean, I also, it makes me think about kind of something that I've felt like when you were talking about um, creating your film, becoming Ruby and like that tension, um, what have you found makes it easier to operate in that space of activism? I don't know if you would say that you're an activist, but how do you mm-hmm. try to bring people along without becoming burnout, burnout, right? Like that tension between helping other people, feeling like you're doing enough. Um, what have you kind of learned learned there? Um, I think a big piece of it that I've learned is that, I, well, I think what's really helped is a lot of people are becoming more and more visible, which is really good. But like, the reality is, is there are black and brown people who shred, who love mm-hmm. like shredding, who love biking. And I think for me, like I've just been like trying to pour my energy into like making those connections who are doing people who are doing the same things as me, who are loving it, who I just like naturally just have these connections with. And I think a big part of it too has just like been, you know, having like, you know, a handful of people in my life who I can talk to who are like my big sisters or big brothers. And that has really helped kind of steer the direction, you know, and then also like, you know, being in community with other people who are doing outreach and understanding like what they're going through and what their challenges are. And then, you know, I can share like what my challenges are and like what I'm experiencing from my end and, you know, I, I think just like seeking out community is like a really big piece of that. Yeah. I So I want to talk to you a bit about collaboration and mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like that, that idea of community, like so much of the time we think about it as, um, it's like the friends, but mm-hmm. you've worked with so many different brands and, and things like that. Like how, how do you see community and, and and kind of like collaboration fitting in together? Um, I mean, like for me, like I, a lot of the collaborations that I've done have been through art. And mm. I don't know. I think there's something about art that just like puts energy into the into a product, whether it be a t-shirt or a snowboard or like a goggle strap that kind of brings together people in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. And I think those collaborations are like a great way to have community because, you know, people have art, even if it's not like, you know, Ruby J, even if it's just like a landscape, they have something to identify that like represents the message or that represents them or that is like 
showcasing a part of themselves in sport that they wouldn't otherwise. Do you think it's, do you find it hard to be able to get that message across when you're in collaboration? Because like a brand has a story that they want to tell and then you have a story that you want to tell. How have you been able to do that so well? Uh, It just depends. I mean, I really just try to work with folks who uh, give me a lot of creative freedom, you know, who let me have Mm -hmm. a voice. Do you think about authenticity a lot? Like, what does it mean for you to be authentically Brooklyn? Um, I feel like I used to think about authenticity a lot. But now, you know, I just feel like if I am living life, you know, by kind of like the guidelines of Ruby and also whatever Brock is doing, then you know, I'm being authentic and being true to myself, you know? Yeah. But I don't, I guess, like, as far as, like, social media goes, like, I don't just, I like, at least for me and, like, what I've put out on social media, like, I've never, I've never, like, really tried to be anything. Yeah. Do you have any advice for young women trying to do what you're doing, like, combining all of these passions into a career? I, uh, I mean, definitely hard work, but I think, you know, at, at, at a certain point of like hard work, just having community and having connections and not only just like creating something beautiful, but creating something that, that is meaningful, that connects with people. I think there's something that just like is able to just succeed if that's what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Okay, my last, our last traditional closing question is who inspires you? Ooh, that's a really good question. Well, you inspire me. You're great, Elliot. Thank you. (laughs) Likewise, likewise, (laughs) very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who has been inspiring me? I don't know. My, My sister, I've been chatting with her a lot. She's been going through a lot, but she just like moved... She was living in Florida and she just moved across country to go and work for my dad. And I'm just inspired by her just creativity and her willingness to just like be uncomfortable. I feel like I'm willing to be uncomfortable, but I think my sister even more so. So she pushes me. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Brooklyn, it's been so nice to have you on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Elliot. All right. We'll, we'll talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to You Inspire Us, a podcast brought to you by Thule. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Learn more about the Thule ambassadors and get behind-the-scenes content by following us on Instagram at Thule or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thule. You can also watch this podcast as a video on the Thule YouTube channel. This episode was hosted by me and produced by Saga Ringmar. Lena Nilsson assisted with social media, Cover art was created by Martin Bergstrom, and intro and outro music were written by Klubin. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tina Lucilius. Thanks for listening.